Welcome to the Heart Shaped Ministries podcast, where we discuss the big areas of life that God wants to transform in each one of us. Welcome to the final episode in the Fear of Failure series. We're looking today at freedom and the fear of failure. I'm going to give you three ways in which you can walk free. Now, the first one you will be familiar with, but the next two might come as a little bit of a surprise. However, I have found them to be crucial in helping me to walk free from the lie of being a failure. Last episode, we looked at identity and the fear of failure, and the key understanding of who we are in Christ makes the difference. So let's start with Jesus. Remember, he was baptized in the river Jordan by John the Baptist and the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. You remember what God said over him at that moment. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now the key to walking free is in that three letter word, that title son. Jesus now was then led into the desert for 40 days. He has no food, no water. You can imagine he's sat there on a boulder and the wilderness is like stretched out before him like a a canvas of just heat and dust. And I, I wonder if he kind of almost in his mind paralleled that with the world that lay before him. You know, he needed to bring life to this world. Now, how is he going to do it? It was a huge task. He had a big call in front of him. Well, I believe because his ministry started with this declaration, this is my son, he was already set up for success and and not living under any kind of uh, worry of failure already. So he could do this because of his identity in God. So that little title, son, was what was going to help him. What did he knew? How did he walk in that? How did how is he going to do it? How is he going to love as a son? How is he going to live as a son? How is he going to die as a son? Because it was his identity. This is what the world needed most from him. They needed him to walk out his identity. And it's actually what the world needs most from each one of us to walk in our identity. How would he do it? We find that he discovered a secret, and it was to be in solitude with his father, to live in solitude, to practice solitude. And that's the first way that you can walk free. Solitude shapes our understanding of being a son or a daughter in God, perhaps more than anything else. Now, solitude is not time by ourselves. Solitude is time with God. That's what Jesus modeled. It's the practice of pulling away, as it were, from everything, uh, from everything around us and just being with our heavenly Father. All the voices get silenced in our lives and the only voice we listen to and we focus in on is our Father's uh, voice, His declaration over us that we are His children. We fix our eyes on Him. We sit in His presence. We allow His arms to wrap around us, to bring us close, to remind us that we are first and foremost his children. That is our identity. Now, at some point in those 40 days, Satan launches an all-out assault on Jesus' identity as a son. 
And remember, he comes and, and, he's, and he, the tempter comes to him and it says, and he says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, then command these stones to become bread. Of course, Jesus is super hungry at that moment. So it probably was a bit of a tempting idea. And so he tells him, if you are the son of God, I mean, why would he attack? Why would he go with that phrase? Because he attacks Jesus at his identity. It's the same thing that he does with us. Now, Jesus was ready for this assault. And he just shoots back. He says, man does not live by um, bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, why would he say that? Think about it. What was the word that came from the mouth of God that he heard? You are my son in whom I am well pleased. So he lives from that word of God. You are my child. Satan's bombs had nowhere to land. He couldn't destroy. He couldn't get to Jesus' identity because Jesus' identity was firmly rooted in his identity in God as a son. He beat why? Well, because he had spent time alone with God. He was there in, in the desert alone with God. The practice of solitude prepares us for Satan's assault on our hearts. And the devil... He, he does the same tactic to us as he did with Jesus. He attacks our identity. Jesus was a step ahead of him every time that he does this because he had spent time with Jesus in the vulnerable moments of his life. I want you to think about the times, if you do look through the scriptures, particularly the gospels, obviously where Jesus was walking out his relationship with God, you will see that in key moments of his life, in key decisions, in key difficult times, situations, he would withdraw and spend time with God. I like to think of it as an, an acronym, SECURE. He found his security. He was secure in God. So the S stands for sorrow. In times of sorrow, Jesus withdrew and he spent time with his Father. In times of exhaustion, whenever he's been healing people all day long, he's tired, he withdraws and he spends time with his Father. In times of chaos, when stuff just isn't going great, it's chaos all around him, he spends time with his Father. Times of uncertainty, he spends time with his Father. In times of risk, when he's got to choose his disciples and it's a risky thing to do, he spends time with his Father. And in times of needing to be equipped, especially to go to the cross, which was going to be the biggest thing he ever did, he spent time with his Father. It is in those times that I am most vulnerable. When there is sorrow in my life, when I am exhausted, whenever I there's just chaos all around me, or if I'm uncertain about something, which way to go, what to do, or if I'm needing to take a risk, or if I need to be equipped because there's a big task ahead of me that I have to do. That's secure. I know in those moments I am most vulnerable to the lie that I am a failure. I need to press in and have solitude with God to get through, just like Jesus did, so that I can be, again, secure in my identity as a son and be able to move forward, not out of a fear of failure, but full of faith. This is what you do for solitude. You want to grab your Bible because you want to make Jesus and his word the center of your life, the cornerstone, the thing that, that you anchor yourself on, and take a journal 
into times of solitude. This is possibly the most helpful thing in my times of solitude with God is to journal. It's in that writing down that all of a sudden I start to understand or or be able to communicate to God what's in my heart or the fear that might be there. And in the writing down as I hear God speak to me what he might be saying about that fear in, in in the writing it down is where I start to be able to get hold of the truth. A journal is very important. You might be typing a journal on a journal app in your computer. That's fine. You have your laptop there, but you have to disconnect from the world. You have to find a quiet place, disconnect from people, chaos around you, and fix your eyes on Jesus, on the Father. Let the Father come to you and describe your relationship or uh, uh, more secure your relationship in Him once Again, sometimes worship music through your phone on your ears might help if you struggle to find a quiet place. I find that the morning is most helpful for me. Jesus often spent time with God in mornings, and so did King David. Just find those are the best times to do it. Now, there are two types of solitude. You have your extended solitude, which you might spend two hours or a whole morning or a whole day with God. And those are really good to have every once in a while, once a term or once a month, if you can manage that. And then there's the daily solitude, which is often called a quiet time. That daily solitude is absolutely key. It's 10 minutes, 20 minutes with God, just getting with Him, reminding yourself of who God is and who you are in Him. That is solitude. Now, there's two more that I want to give you. Remember, in the last episode, I spoke about how Jesus comes, and I imagined um, as Jesus invites you into his world, I imagine his world being like this this minibus, this car. He, You get into Jesus' car. He doesn't get into your car. He doesn't come in just to your life. You get into his life. Well, the first thing that you notice when you get into Jesus' minibus is that we are not alone. There are brothers and sisters in that car with us. We are brought into God's family. And if you're not a part of a local church, you are missing out the experience of being in a family. And the reason we're in a family, God puts us in a family, is because we need one another. One of the hardest things to do in the family of God, yet the most valuable, is to learn to be vulnerable with the things that we battle with, even the fear of failure. And one of the ways that we can deepen our understanding of our identity and walk with God as sons and daughters is to walk vulnerably as sons and daughters with the people that God has put us with. Now, there are two ways that we can do that. And the first is through confession. We learn to confess to one another. In 1937, a 19-year-old Frenchman named Angelo Hayes was in a motorcycle accident and he was buried alive for two days. The wreck had left his face so disfigured that his parents were not allowed to come in and view the body. Doctors couldn't find a pulse, so they assumed that he was dead and they buried him. Two days, they buried him prematurely. Two days later, an investigation by a local insurance company, because they wanted to just double check, determine the actual cause of death, um, they had Hayes' body exhumed um, two days after his funeral. And when they did that, they discovered that his body was still warm. He had been in the deep coma. 
causing his body to not to need less oxygen than it normally needed, which enabled him to survive in the coffin. He went on to live another 71 years, becoming a celebrity in France and inventing a souped up coffin. He used to do talks and he invented this souped up coffin complete with a footlocker, a toilet, a com- comfortable upholstery everywhere, even a mini library so you could pass the time as you were waiting for your own rescue. Well, sin often leaves our souls disfigured, placing us in a type of spiritual coma, if you will, and it keeps us suffocating in the darkness of solitary secrets. And we may have everything we need to survive in life, to, to exist. Maybe we have got food, we've got entertainment, we've got everything, but our hearts still feel buried alive. And that's what sin does to us, especially whenever we keep secret sin in our lives. Deep down inside, we understand this, we feel this, and we don't want to live this way. We want to actually let that out, but it can be so difficult to let it out, to open our mouths, because we are worried that if we do confess the sin that we have done or the sin done to us, that it will it'll bring further shame. We risk further shame. It makes me think of Winnie the Pooh quote. There's a Winnie the Pooh quote that he delightfully expresses his concern in this matter. And he says, when you are a bear of very little brain and you think of things, you sometimes find that a thing which seemed very thinkish inside of you is quite different when it gets out in the open and has other people looking at it. Despite the difficulty of confessing the sin we've done or the sin done to us, it is one of God's ways in which he helps us to walk free from the lie that we are failure. In fact, James 5.16 says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now this verse might be talking about physical healing or spiritual emotional healing. Either way, If we will confess our sins, the promise to one another, the promise is that healing will come. James is encouraging us to practice this this particular thing, which is confession. And it's wonderful. When we do, the effects of it, the, the effects of the sin starts to break. The shame starts to break as we bring it into the light. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, In confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. This can happen even in the midst of a pious community. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. The sin must be brought into the light. The unexpressed must be openly spoken and acknowledged. 
All that is secret and hidden is made manifest. It is a hard struggle until the sin is openly admitted. So ask yourself this when it comes to sin in your life. Sin that you've done or it's done by you. Ask yourself, do you hate this sin? Ask yourself, are you tired that it has a hold on you? Ask yourself, are you willing then to let it go? Do what it takes to let it go. Are you willing to confess it? And are you willing to walk into the light and no longer hide it? If it's a resounding yes, then you need to find an older, trustworthy, maybe not older, but a trustworthy, mature Christian friend. It can be a leader, a friend that you want to just get stuff out into the open with. If you need further help and it's something very big, then you might want to look at someone who's professionally trained, a Christian professional counselor who can walk you through it. But confession is absolutely key to walking free from the shame that holds you and the fear of failure that continues to grip you. But there's another way that you need to be vulnerable. It's not just through confession, also through authenticity. This is an ongoing practice that needs to happen. What do I mean by authenticity? Well, there's a wonderful example from my own life of a friend, uh, somebody that I didn't know very well at the beginning, and he uh, he was talking, we were having this conversation, and in the middle of telling me about his life and telling me some of the things that he's been doing, this guy stops, and he says, Drew, I want to just, I, I need to confess something to you. Now, I was taken back because I'm thinking, wait, what, what? I mean, I hardly know you. You need to, I mean, we've had hardly any interaction up until this point. And I'm thinking, what, what is it that you've done to me? Or what have you, could you have possibly done that you now need to confess and speak out to me? And he says this, he says, Drew, I've been using this conversation in order to feel better about myself. He says, I want to apologize to you for doing that. He says, I've been trying to tell you all the great things that I've done and all my successes and accomplishments. And effectively, I'm using you to make myself feel better, make myself look better. And I don't want that to be in my life at all. And I just want to be completely authentic. I want to be real with people. And it starts with me just calling it in this moment and in these kind of times. So will you please forgive me? I was, I was like, whoa, whoa, I was so amazed that he would stop a conversation and with someone he hardly knew confess and be authentic, completely authentic in front of me. Now, I didn't see him very much after that, but he has been one of the, maybe in the top 10 people in my life that have influenced me the most just from that one action. And it made me realize that's also how I want to live and walk. I want to be completely authentic. Now for you to break the patterns of the fear of failure, not only will you have to confess some of this shame, you got to spend time with God so you can hear your identity, confess some of the things that have been holding you back or some of the roots of that fear of failure, but also you have to stop giving in to the fear of failure through the different patterns of control that we spoke about, power plays or perfectionism, or certainty around you. But one of the ways to do that is to start walking authentically with people. And being authentic is difficult because it's a very vulnerable place to be. It sounds scary. And here are some of the things that you can do. You need to stop pretending to be more than you are. Think about when you speak with people. 
Think through what you're saying, how you're trying to put your best foot forward, how you're trying to seem impressive, how you're trying to name drop or whatever it might be. Stop pretending to be more than you are. Also, admit when you don't know something. Just admit it when you're in conversation. Don't try and make it sound like you can, you, you know a little bit about what's happening. Just learn to admit, I actually don't know. Or I, when someone says, have you watched the news? Have you seen this? Just, no, I actually, I don't, I don't know what's happening. Let that authenticity come through. You also want to admit or own up to the mistakes that you make and your weaknesses. If you've made a mistake, I have made a mistake. Learn to walk authentic. Don't hide behind what you think others want to hear. And then also allow others to know the real you. We're not very good at this kind of authenticity. Yet, we need to practice it if we are to walk free from the fear of failure and in the fullness of our identity. And the world is waiting for sons and daughters to stop pretending to be something else, but to be confident in who they are in God and to walk free. The world is waiting for you to be found whole in him and to stop giving in to the fear of failure, to be, to draw close, to learn to be vulnerable, to not have any secret sins or anything that keeps you in the dark and to be completely authentically you with people. That is what God wants for you. It's what I want for you as well. I hope that this series, this mini-series, these four parts, have has done something to help you discover that God wants more for you than to walk than you walking in the fear of failure and letting it come out in destructive patterns. He actually wants you to be made whole. That's the abundant life that Jesus wants for you, and it is possible. You can be free. I want to pray for you now. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you want each one of us to walk in our full identity as sons and daughters. And I pray, Father, even this week, as those listening, God, would they get time with you to hear once again who they are, to be reminded of their identity, and to learn to walk or to live in that place of having solitude with you. I pray, Jesus, for the grace to be able to confess any sin and to learn to live free. And I thank you, Jesus, that they we can be authentically who you've made us to be without pretending with people around us so that we might no longer live in the grip of the fear of failure. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being a part of this journey. And I pray that you continue to know God's grace to walk free from the fear of failure. God bless. See you as you tune in to other things into the future. Bye.